Back in 2007, when Audrey and I got married, up north at her parents' house, on the lake on which she grew up, we had to make sure that every detail was covered. So many details. Tables. Nick, pay attention. Tables. Chairs. Flowers. Seating assignments. The sound system for the band. Uh, the dinner tent, which also doubled as our backup space in case there was rain, which there was, a torrent. It stopped just before we got started, and it was, it was incredible. There was a rainbow and angels with trumpets. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty sweet. <laughs> it's kind of a letdown. Everything else after that was a letdown. Just kidding. Don't tell Audrey I said that. I'm joking, 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 joking. But, Maybe the most important part, beyond all of that, uh, and maybe beside Audrey's dress, her shoes, her hair and makeup, was food and drink for the people that we invited. 170 of them. So hold on to that. We'll come back to it in a little bit. Natalia talked about bowl. Katie, plate. Brent helped us meditate on cup, and tonight I get jug, (laughs) my favorite container of all. If you search for jug or jar in the Bible, you come up with several dozen hits. I mean, it's a pretty popular item in Scripture, like really popular. It's a common, everyday thing, and it's been a part of some of our most beloved and memorable Bible stories. Let's see if you can hang with me here. Maybe you remember Gideon's surprise attack on the armies of Midian. The Gideon versus the Midianites. Gideon, Midian. Judges 7, uh, where God told Gideon to take 300 men because 3,000 was too many. God only wanted 300 so they couldn't boast about numbers against the multitude of the Midianites. So armed with only torches, trumpets, and empty jars... By cover of night and the surrounding hills, they took their position, spread out above the valley below. And at the signal, they blew their horns, smashed their jars, and held up their torches, and yelled and attacked, and they won. They prevailed because that day, the God who does so much with so little was there. So here's a question. To what are we being called right now? To what are we being called and how have we been equipped to move toward those things? There's the story of Elijah uh, and the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17, where God told Elijah to leave the land that he knew and go east of the Jordan, which means way far out there away from the people of God into foreign lands. And there he encountered a widow. She was gathering sticks to fuel the fire that would cook the last bit of flour in a jar and oil in a jug for herself and her son as they waited for death to come. Their last meal. They were starving and hopeless. But the God of exceeding abundance 
took that tiny bit of flour and oil and provided for all of them. What surprising ways are you being sustained in your life? Your faith. Your walk with God. You might remember the story of the woman who, as Luke 7 puts it, was a sinner. And having learned that Jesus was eating at the house of a Pharisee, she barged into the house, totally disrupting the meal and disregarding every custom centered around the ceremonial procedure around ritual cleansing and mealtime and the dinner table, which are numerous. And in an awkward and beautiful exchange and deeply moved by the God who forgives she bathed Jesus' feet with her tears dried them with her hair and anointed them with an expensive perfume held in her jar made of precious stone probably her most prized possession what prized possession Are we able to pour out in gratitude? You may remember on Ash Wednesday, Chad mentioning the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. Apparently shunned by her own community, she was at the well with her water jug under the heat of the noonday sun. It was extremely inappropriate for these two to be having any sort of contact. Her, a Samaritan woman, Jesus, a Jewish man, didn't happen, was not supposed to happen. And after having her life-giving encounter with the God who gives true life, she forgot her water jug at the well and ran back to town to tell everybody about this guy who knew her and who was offering real life. To tell everyone about the freedom that she found in Jesus. And I wonder, are we running off to tell others about what we have found in Jesus through this community? Even going to those who have shamed and shunned us. And then there's the wedding at Cana, which we talked about in our scripture, where Jesus was at a party, ran out of wine, not good, so he instructed the servers to go fill up jugs of water and then present a sample to the head waiter for tasting. What had been water as it filled the jars a few moments ago was now wine being poured out. And to their amazement, It was the good stuff. Not the cheap wine you serve after people can't tell the difference. The party could continue because the God who provides and transforms was in their midst. And Jesus saw that those ordinary stone jars could hold something far better. In what ways is God providing opportunities for us to be changed and transformed? How are we being transformed even now?
in this space. Back to our wedding day. We got married on the evening of July 3rd, which fell on a Tuesday in 2007, down along the lake at sunset. We decided to have the dinner first, followed by the ceremony. And then we danced the night away. So as I said earlier, when you invite people to your wedding, you have to make sure you can feed them all. We sent out 170 invitations, and as it goes, you invite, you expect that a few, a certain percentage less people are going to show up due to distance, due to the timing, the schedule, all of that. You just expect there's going to be a few less. So we expected that maybe 150, 140 would show up, that we would get a few respectfully decline, sorry, can't make it type responses. It's one of those rules that you can count on. So there were several slow cookers filled with all kinds of meat. Raw and cooked veggies, salads, pans of baked treats. The friends and family with whom Audrey grew up and shared the lake, as well as members of our own family, helped make sure that we didn't leave dinner without an uncomfortably full stomach. It was an amazing demonstration of hospitality. And then there were the refreshments. Water was an obvious choice. Got to stay hydrated. So we made sure there was enough bottled water to last. Cases and cases of bottled water. We made sure that there were a couple cases of wine, some red, some white, and a few beer kegs of different varieties. All this is to say we were geared up for a pretty sweet party. So one of those other rules uh, which guided our planning is the reality that though there are those, perhaps even a sizable amount of people who choose not to partake, the people who do usually make up for the people who don't. <laughs> so you got to plan. you got to know how many people are, are going to drink what. <laughs> if you want to make it through the evening without a major mishap. So as I mentioned before, we invited 170. 175 showed up. 175. I don't know how this happened except that movie Wedding Crashers. It's a thing. It is a thing. I think people from the lake found out and they were driving their boats over. It was nuts. This, this could have been a real problem, but not for, if not, we had planned so carefully. And by the end of it, when we left the party well after midnight, everyone had their fill of food and drink. And there were even leftover unopened bottles, cases, kegs that we were able, able to send home with our family and friends or in some cases return for a full refund. God bless northern Minnesota. It was well planned and well ex executed. And I got married. So not so with the story from our scripture. Something majorly bad happened. I mean, really, really terribly wrong happened in Cana. Someone messed up royally. And it was an embarrassment to the head waiter and to the family of the couple that was being wed. In those days, the wedding celebration would go on for days. Not hours like is custom that we are accustomed to today. 
And as a public display of God's rich blessings, the family would provide, among other things, like robes and, in some cases, rings and sandals, they would provide the wine for the entire event, the whole three days, two, three days. Not only would running out of wine basically mean the end of the party right then and there, but it would also have serious implications about the amount of divine blessing on that family. Run out of wine, no God's blessing. No wine, no blessing. That's kind of how it worked in the first century. And it's kind of hard to grasp how catastrophically bad this is for this. But Jesus notices some stone jars sitting off in the corner. And these aren't just the normal stone jars. These are the stone jars for the ritual purification. And so at the instruction of his mother, servants go and fill them. Or at the instruction of his mother, Jesus tells the servants to go fill them up to the brim and bring them and present them to the head waiter for tasting. And we should notice that these were stone jugs. John wants us to notice something. Not the usual common clay potter jugs, which would have already been smashed, according to custom. In fact, it was kind of the law. These jars were for the Jewish rites of purification. Not for holding wine, And these jars were not small by any means. The scripture says they each held 20 to 30 gallons. I was trying to wrap my brain around that. That's that's like weighing anywhere from 200 to 300 pounds, if you take the weight of, of the liquid that would be in there. It would take two or three men, usually, to carry them around. And there were six of them, each filled to the brim. So I see some of you doing the math, so let me help you out. So that's like 150 gallons of milk, if you have like a big gallon jug. That's 150 gallons. Or if you have a 15-gallon gas tank like I do, that is 10 15-gallon gas tanks. 480 20-ounce bottles of Mountain Dew, kids. That's a lot. It's a lot of wine. Certainly more wine than they could ever, ever drink at that point. Even if they had that much at the beginning, it still would have been hard to consume that much wine. It doesn't make sense. Why so much at the end of the party, Jesus? It was way more than what they needed. Last week, Brent talked about how a cup is meant to be filled up and poured out. It's in our confession, our litany at the beginning. Filled up and poured out. Filled up with God's love, grace, and mercy. Poured out in service to our neighbor. But a jug is kind of different. Right? A a jug holds something important. It stores it for you so you can have easier access to it. It stores the things we need. Helps keep things fresh and ready to be used. Our cooking, our food essentials, our olive oil, our flour, our milk, our pickles, our peanut butter, our salsa. 
We store those in salsa. We store those in jars. Or jugs. The coffee we drink that I go every morning into my jar of coffee, fill up the coffee maker. So it's ready for the next morning. We hold stuff. So the jug is not important simply, uh, rather, the jug is important simply because of what it holds. Nothing special about a jug. It holds the things we need, the things that are important. Because of what fills it. Those jars at the beginning in Cana weren't just sitting around saying to themselves, Hey Jesus, if you're looking for something to hold the wine you're about to make, pick us! We're awesome! We'd be a good choice! They weren't saying that. We're prettier and hold way more than those other dumb jars. No, they weren't saying that. Jesus looked around, saw those huge containers sitting there, and said without hesitation, I can work with this. Here we go. Those stone jugs couldn't do anything to bring down the blessings of God to the wedding guests at Cana. It was a gift. A sign from a gracious and giving God. In these stories, the jar is a witness to and an instrument in what God is doing in that moment. And here we are tonight, witnesses to and instruments in what God is doing in our community, in our midst. Filled with God's treasure, we are vessels of the Holy Spirit. We have been redeemed and repurposed so that now we bear this good news of abundant grace, surprising mercy, unexpected life, exceeding joy to a world longing for a taste of something different, something new, something better. Jesus has come to offer change, hope, Jesus transforms what we have dismissed as a complete disaster into a reason to keep the party going. God redeems our faults and failures, mends our broken and scattered pieces, and raises us to new life. Those servants who carried the jars full of transformed water were among the first to witness the glory of God revealed through Jesus. They left that party with quite a story to tell. A story of the transformative power of the kingdom of God taking shape among them. And we leave here tonight knowing that the very same God who turned water to wine and prolonged the party is the same one who is transforming you and you and me.
me and us and filling us up to the brim. The next time we hear about another jug in John's Gospel, it's holding the sour wine that's being offered to Jesus on the cross. Jesus is nearing the end of his life, nearing the hour of his death. And he's hanging on the cross. And he's offered this sour wine taken from this jar off to the side. But unlike the wedding at Cana, this time it's not the good stuff. Far from it. This is the wine you bring out after the guests have become drunk. This is the inferior wine you offer the guests when they can't tell the difference anymore. This is the cheap stuff. But on the cross, Jesus knows what's happening. He understands how the world works. And he is in the process of changing it. Once and for all. Jesus is offering us something far 